0: This is the epilogue audio experience. is clearly a sophisticated art possibly the most important art of the 20th century with a rather complex history of theory and practice writes James Monaco in his book how to read a film so far in our podcast the artists we have had filmmakers writers critics programmers from some of the top film festivals musicians thinkers defining their combinatorial skills we at Metaphysical Lab have been striving to expand the realm of our podcast which in turn gives a wider uh, canvas to the understanding of our experiences and also we have tied up with Epilogue Media, the podcasting network so you can find us on their website, Media slash The theartists and of course you can continue to listen to us on the platforms that you choose from Apple Podcast to Spotify, to Geo to Google Podcast, everything is mentioned in the description and And of course, you can reach us uh, on the WhatsApp number and our email ID. I'm your host, Sutita and I'm looking forward to a wonderful journey ahead with all of you. got some great response to the last episode 85 sculpting in time part one was wondering how will the listeners react as we are trying to break the monotony of the show by including and experimenting with some new formats as we are about to touch the hundredth episode so guys keep sending me your feedback you have your ways to find me so thank you and of course our dms are open on twitter and insta handles with metaphysical lab Continuing from episode 85, sculpting in time by the great Tarkovsky, always in search for absolute truth, always being so honest and virtuous. This is where all the cinema lovers and artists enjoy. And then in chapter 4 he puts across this point of what is cinema's destined role So each of the arts has its own poetic meaning and cinema is no exception. It has a particular role, its own destiny. It came into being in order to express a specific area of life, the meaning of which up till then had not found expression in any existing art form. Everything new in art emerged an answer to a spiritual need and its function is to ask those questions which are supremely relevant to our epoch. And uh, talking about cinema's distant rule, there also has been a relationship that has grown between artistic films and the commercial cinema and that relationship. He says it's not an easy one and we all know that. The director's personality defines the pattern of his relationship with the world and limits his connection with it and his choice of those connections only makes the world he reflects the more subjective. To seek one's own truth is to search for one's own language. The system of expression destined to give form to one's own ideas. So again, cinema's destined role begins from the artist. What Tarkovsky puts across is that becoming an artist does not merely mean learning something, acquiring professional techniques and methods. Indeed, as someone has said, in order to write, well, you have to forget about grammar. Though, of course, in order to forget it, you have to first know about it. And he goes on to quote Herman Hess saying, truth has to be lived and not taught. And then he goes on to say that because it is a living process, artistic creation demands a capacity for direct observation of the ever-changing material world which is constantly in movement. The painter with the help of colour, the writer of words, the composer of sounds are all engaged in a relentless grinding struggle to master the material on which their work is based. Cinema came into being as a means of recording the very movement of reality, factual, specific, within time, and unique, of reproducing again and again the moment, instant by instant, in its fluid mutability, that instant over which we find ourselves able to gain mastery by imprinting it on film. That is what determines the medium of cinema. The author's conception becomes a living human witness that can excite and hold an audience only when we are able to plunge it. In into the rushing current of reality which we hold fast in each tangible, concrete moment we depict, one and unique in texture as in feeling. Otherwise, the film is doomed. It will die before it's born." Tarkovsky then goes on to talk about two directors who worked with rigid, self-imposed constraints to help them create a true form for the realization of their idea. Mizoguchi and Brazon, but Brazon is perhaps the only man in the cinema to have achieved the perfect fusion of the finished work with a concept theoretically formulated beforehand. I know of no other artist as consistent as he is in this respect. And thinking of Brisson, he writes that perfection is achieved only by avoiding everything that might make for conscious exaggeration. Apparently, no more than modest, simple observation of life, a principle that has something in common with Zen art, where, in our perception, precise observation of life passes paradoxically into sublime artistic imagery. Wow. And then then he, then he, he mentions Pushkin here, for whom he has a great regard, where he writes that perhaps only in Pushkin is the relationship between form and content so magical, god-given and organic. But Pushkin was like Mozart in that he created as he breathed without having to construct working principles. And in the poetry of film, Brazo more than anyone else has united theory and practice in his work with a singleness of purpose, consistently and uniformly. And then he talks about, but art must transcend as well as observe. Its role is to bring spiritual vision to bear on. For the work of art carries within it an integral aesthetic and philosophical unity. It is an organism living and developing according to its own laws. Can one talk of experiment in relation to the birth of a child? It is senseless and immoral. And then he writes the most profound sentence, which is cinema is still looking for its language and is only now coming somewhere near grasping it. The cinema's progress towards self-awareness has always been hampered by its equivocal position, hanging between art and the factory, the original sin of its genesis in the marketplace. But I believe this is getting worse, so... So I don't know what Tarkovsky would have thought about today's times and he concludes the chapter by writing that the engineer invents machines guided by people's daily needs he wants to make labor and thus life easier for them. However, not by bread alone, the artist could be said to extend his range in order to further communication to enable people to understand one another on the highest intellectual, emotional, psychological and philosophical level. Thus the artist's efforts too are directed towards making life better. Better, more perfect, making it easier for people to understand one another. Chapter 5 is about the film's image. and Tarkovsky writes here that the image in cinema is based on the ability to present as an observation one's own perception of an object. The more closely the image corresponds to its function, the more impossible it is to constrict it within a certain intellectual formula. And he quotes a beautiful haiku by Basho, which goes like this, The old pond was still, a frog jumped in the water, and a splash was heard. The old pond was still, a frog jumped in the water, and a splash was heard. And he says how simply and accurately life is observed. What discipline of mind and nobility of imagination? As Dostoevsky said, with remarkable insight, life is more fantastic than fiction. In cinema, it is all the more the case that observation is the first principle of the image, which always has been inseparable from the photographic record. The film image is made incarnate, visible and four-dimensional. But by no means, every film short can aspire to being an image of the world. As often as not, it merely describes some specific aspect. And he writes that a true artistic image gives the beholder a simultaneous experience of the most complex, contradictory, sometimes even mutually exclusive feelings. He also beautifully expresses the same through Kurosawa's version of Macbeth where he writes that in the scene where Macbeth is lost in the forest, a lesser director would have the actors stumbling around in the fog in search of the right direction, bumping into trees. And what does the genius Kurosawa do? He finds a place with a distinctive memorable tree. The horsemen go around in a circle three times so that the sight of the tree eventually makes it clear that they keep going past the same spot. The horsemen themselves don't realise that they long ago lost their way. In his treatment of the concept of space, Kurosawa here displays the most subtle, poetic approach, expressing himself without the slightest hint of mannerisms or pretentiousness. For what could be simpler than setting the camera and following the characters around three times? In a word, the image is not a certain meaning expressed by the director but an entire world reflected as a drop of water only in a drop of water and then he also quotes from Gogol saying that the function of the image as Gogol said is to express life itself not ideas or arguments about life and then he mentions that all creative work strives for simplicity for perfect simple expression and this means reaching down into the further depths of the creation of life But that is the most painful part of creative work, finding the shortest path between what you want to say or express and its ultimate reproduction in the finished image. The struggle for simplicity is the painful search for a form adequate to the truth you have grasped. The striving for perfection leads an artist to make spiritual discoveries to exert the utmost moral effort, aspiration towards the absolute is the moving force in the development of mankind. For me, the idea of realism and art is linked with that force. Art is realistic when it strives to express an ethical ideal. Realism is a striving for the truth, and truth is always beautiful. Here, the aesthetic coincides with the ethical. And then Tarkovsky talks about time, rhythm, and editing, and writes that the dominant all-powerful factor of the film image is rhythm, expressing the course of time, within the frame and this is such an important and interesting chapter. And here, Tarkovsky goes on to say that the rhythm of the movement of time is already there within the frame as its sole organizing force and it is not something that's obtained through the editing, although editing is the main formative element of the film. He emphasizes that the cinema image comes into being during the shooting and exists within the frame. During shooting, therefore, I concentrate on the course of time in the frame in order to reproduce it and record it. Editing brings together shots which are already filled with time and organizes the unified living structure inherent in the film and the time that pulsates through the blood vessels of the film making it alive is of wearing rhythmic pressure. And he's not very much in agreement with the idea of montage cinema. And that's something that you guys should go and read. It's all his thought process and observations are seriously meta and it's not something that is imposed on storytelling. And he continues to assert that editing is ultimately no more than the ideal variant of the assembly of the shots necessarily contained within the material that has been put onto the role of film. Editing a picture correctly competently means allowing the separate scenes and shots to come together spontaneously for in a sense they edit themselves, they join up according to their own intrinsic pattern which is it's beautiful, and it's simply a question of recognizing and following this pattern while joining and cutting. It is not always easy to sense the pattern of relationships, the articulations between the shot. Moreover, if the scene has been shot exactly, you will have not only really to join the pieces logically and naturally at the editing table, but laboriously to seek out the basic principle of the articulation. Little by little, however, you will slowly find it emerging and becoming clearer the essential unity contained within the material and then he takes us through an anecdote of editing mirror where everything was falling apart and then suddenly it all came together tarkovsky shares that there are about 200 shots in mirror very few when a film of that length usually has between 500 and a thousand the small number is due to their length Because, of course, every shot was extremely long. Although the assembly of the shot is responsible for the structure of a film, it does not, as is generally assumed, create its rhythm. The distinctive time running through the shots makes the rhythm of the picture, and rhythm is determined not by the length of the edited pieces, but by the pressure of the time that runs through them. Editing cannot determine rhythm. Indeed, time courses through the picture despite editing rather than because of it. The course of time recorded in the frame is what the director has to catch in the pieces laid out on the editing table. Time imprinted in the frame dictates the particular editing principle. And the pieces that won't edit, that can't be properly joined, are those which record a radically different kind of time. One cannot, for instance, put actual time together with conceptual time any more than one can join water pipes of different diameter. The consistency of the time that runs through the shot, its intensity or sloppiness could be called time pressure. Then editing can be seen as an assembly of the pieces on the basis of the time pressure within them. And it's so beautiful and every editor, filmmaker, and artist should, should read this paragraph. And then he reiterates that rhythm in cinema is conveyed by the life of the object visibly recorded in the frame. Just as from the quivering of a reed you can tell what sort of current, what pressure there is in a river. In the same way, we know the movement of time from the flow of the life process, reproduced in the shot. It is above all through sense of time, through rhythm, that the director reveals his individuality. Rhythm colours work with stylistic marks. It is not thought up, not composed on an arbitrary theoretical basis, but comes into being spontaneously in a film, in response to the director's innate awareness of life, his search for time. It seems to me that time in a short has to flow independently and with dignity, then ideas will find their place in it without fuss, bustle, haste. Feeling the rhythmicality of a short is like, is rather like feeling a truthful word in, in literature, an inexact word in writing, like an inexact. Rhythm in film destroys the veracity of the work And he writes that you will always recognize The editing of Bergman, Brizon, Kurosawa or Antonioni None of them could ever be confused with anyone else Because each one's perception of time As expressed in the rhythm of his films Is always the same And he contradicts this but on the other hand, if you take a few Hollywood films, you feel they were all edited by the same person. In terms of editing, they're quite indistinguishable. Then he shares some of the most important lessons that he learned during the making of Mirror. He also expresses his thoughts on the color and the black and white images in cinema and he feels that the perception of color is a physiological and psychological phenomenon to which, as a rule, nobody pays particular attention. And you have to try to neutralize colors to modify its impact on the audience. If color becomes the dominant dramatic element of the short, it means that the director and cameraman are using a painter's method to affect the audience. I don't know what Wes Anderson would have to say to this. I mean... You have to devise your own your own style. So you say strangely enough, even though the world is colored, the black and white image comes closer to the psychological, naturalistic truth of art, based as it is on special properties of seeing as well as of hearing. Strangely enough, even though the world is colored, the black and white image comes closer to the psychological naturalistic truth of art, based as it is on special properties of seeing as well as hearing. Then he talks about film actor and acting and how an actor should prepare for the role. Where should the psychological element come from? Original, unique expressiveness. That is the essential attribute of the cinema actor. For nothing less can become infectious on the screen or express the truth. For the actor to be brought to the required state of mind, the director has to empathize with the character. There is no other way of finding the right note for the performance You cannot, for instance, go into an unknown house and start shooting a rehearsed scene. It is an unfamiliar house, inhabited by strangers and naturally enough. It cannot help a character from a different world to express itself. The director's first very specific task is to convey to the actor the whole truth of the state of mind that has to be achieved. And he takes us through various anecdotes of his films and Bergman's films and it's such an important chapter for not just a director, for an actor who is going out and working with different directors and how to mould themselves into the character, how do they get trust of the director. He talks about theatre and cinema and stage acting and camera acting and, and a lot more. Every line is important. And then this is very interesting paragraph where he writes about Film actors must play only exact situations, what is what it may be asked. With every genre, an actor is supposed to perform differently. But then he questions the genres and asks what exactly is genre, and says therefore the mass consumers, true cinema, images built upon the destruction of a genre, upon conflict with it. What is Brazon's genre? He doesn't have one. Brazant is Brazant. He's a genre in himself. Antonio, Fellini, Bergman, Kurosawa, Dovzhenko, Vico, mizoguchi each is identified with himself. The very concept of genre is as cold as the tomb. And is Chaplin comedy? No, he's Chaplin. Pure and simple. A unique phenomenon, never to be repeated. Above all, he stunts us at every moment of his screen existent with the truth of his hero's behaviour. In the most absurd situation, Chaplin is completely natural and that is why he is funny. His hero seems not to notice the world in which he lives, nor its weird logic. Chaplin is such a classic, so complete in himself that he might have died 300 years ago. The nature of film acting is exclusive to cinema. Of course, every director works differently with his actors and Fellinis are quite unlike Brisson's because each director requires different human types. Then he shares his ideas on film music and he says he is not He's never been in favor of using too much music in film. He writes, I don't believe film needs music at all. However, I have not yet made a film without it, though I moved in that direction in Stalker and Nostalgia. And he writes that by using music, it is possible for the director to prompt the emotions on the audience in that particular direction by widening the range of their perception of the visual image. So he's actually talking about pure cinema. And it's very, very tough for, uh, for a director to actually adhere to a lot of his principles because the first thing when director now is asked is what is going to be the ROI on your film so making a film independently as a pure art form can get very tough and those who are making it are the extremely lucky guys. He mentions that Bergman is a master with sound. It is impossible to forget what he does with the lighthouse and through a glass darkly a sound on the very brink of audibility. Brezo is brilliant in his use of sound so is Antonion in his trilogy but all the same I have a feeling that there must be other ways of working with sound ways which would allow one to be more accurate more true to the inner world which we try to reproduce on screen not just authors in our world but what lies within the world itself what is essential to it and does not depend on us chapter six the author in search of an audience is such an important chapter it's something that we constantly ask it's something that we constantly need to present in our presentations that who is your audience who's your dg and tarkovsky so well talks about the connect of the audience and the author the director and an artist. Art, as I said earlier, Tarkovsky rises, affects a person's emotions, not his reason. Its function is, as it were, to turn and loosen the human soul, make it receptive to good. When you see a good film, look at a painting, listen to music. The relationship between artist and audience is a two-way process. By remaining faithful to himself and independent of topicality, the artist creates new perceptions and raises people's level of understanding. In its turn, a society, growing awareness, builds up an energy supply which will subsequently cause a new artist to be born. If we look at the greatest work of art, we see that they exist as part of nature, as part of truth and independent of authors or audience. This kind of writing, this kind of thought process can be a food for your soul. But when you actually got in the real world, you will have to actually fight and explain your audience. And there'll be a times that you will have to modify a lot of things to adjust to what, because if somebody is paying you, they, there'll be a lot of a, a lot of tiff uh, in trying to create the work the way you want. And Rakhovsky writes that an artist cannot and has no right to lower himself to some abstract, standardized level for the sake of a misconstrued notion of creative accessibility and understanding. But this is the dilemma that a lot of directors, uh, a lot of writers, uh, a lot of uh, artists might face out there in the real world. And he concludes the chapter by saying that all the artists can offer the audience is to be open and candid in his combat with his material and the audience will appreciate what our exertions mean. In chapter 7 he writes about the artist's responsibility and for me the artist's responsibility is to bring another perception to the world and to fulfill their own soul's calling. Cinema is one art form where the author can see himself as the creator of an unconditional reality, quite literally of his own world. A film is an emotional reality and that is how the audience receives it as a second reality. In this respect, he says that I classify cinema and music among the immediate art forms since they need no mediating language. And this fundamental determining factor marks the kinship between music and cinema, and for the same reason, distances cinema from literature, where everything is expressed by means of language by a system of signs of hieroglyphics, and the literary work can only be received through symbols, through concepts. That is what words are. But cinema, like music, allows for an utterly direct, emotional, sensuous perception of the work. And then Tarkovsky writes such an important paragraph that says that since art is an expression of aspirations and hopes it has an immensely important part to play in the moral development of society or at any rate that is what it is called to do if it fails it can only mean that something is wrong with society. He writes an important line here that sincerity truthfulness and clean hands are the virtues demanded of him or her as an artist. He also underlines the fact that art must carry man's craving for the ideal, must be an expression of his reaching out towards it. That art must give man hope and faith. Art symbolizes the meaning of her existence. Why are you living? What is it that you are striving for? What is your spiritual connection? Tarkovsky underlines this by saying that I believe that it's always through a spiritual crisis that healing occurs. A spiritual crisis is an attempt to find oneself, to acquire new faith. And then he briefly mentions his film Stalker and his other film Solaris. He concludes the chapter by saying in the end everything can be reduced to the one simple element which is While a person can count upon in his existence the capacity to love, that element can grow within the soul to become the supreme factor which determines the meaning of a person's life. My function is to make whoever sees my films aware of his need to love and to give his love and aware that beauty is summoning him. Chapter 8 is about his film Nostalgia and after that what he experienced in his growth as a filmmaker and Chapter 9 is his last film, The Sacrifice, after this film, we lost Tarkovsky in the year 1986. This amazing quote that I absolutely love. If it comes, let it. If it goes, let it. Tarkovsky's perspective through this book is, for me, an absolute zen perspective towards creating and telling stories. I encourage you to read the entire book, and since we live in a culture where hustling is considered supreme, and I for one do not adhere to it, there is a beautiful quote from Thrive Global that goes like this, You're not behind in life, what's meant for you won't pass you by. Keep moving forward at your own pace. This is again for all the artists listening to the podcast. Take care, guys. Each one of you is unique and special. Have a great weekend.